Hey everyone, this is Oren, and before we get into this week's episode, I just wanted to provide a little bit of context about our conversation. We recorded this episode on March 4th, which was exactly one week ago, and things in the world have changed drastically since we recorded it. Uh, At the time, there was the first coronavirus case in LA, and now things in the world have totally changed. Tom Hanks just announced he has coronavirus, the NBA has postponed all their games, Coachella is going to be in October now. My daughter's preschool is shut down. The DGA is canceling all of their events. Viacom has announced everyone can work from home. No more South by Southwest. And uh, this evening, the president suspended travel from all of Europe. And even our live show that was supposed to be on March 15th has been canceled. So things are very different tonight, the night before we release this episode, than they were last week. And so potentially the way we were speaking about coronavirus and its seriousness is not the same as we would have spoken about it if we were to record it tonight. So just wanted to put that out there. It's crazy how fast things change in the world, uh, especially in the last month or so. So with that context in mind, here is episode 206 of Just Shoot It. Hello and welcome to the 206th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Liam Johnson, Matthew Jacob, Stephanie Franz, and Stuart Plemons. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan, and today it's just Matt and me again, and it's going to be a short one because I am kind of sick. And yeah, we're trying to figure out if it's coronavirus or... Pacifico virus, which, you know, a little less popular, but still drink. I'm a Tecate virus guy oh. myself. We know. You know that Tecate is not as good as the other beers, right? I would say we're comparing Bud Light to Coors Light. You think so? I think so? they're all... Yeah, I think so. I think so. Anyway, Oren. Yeah. We're about to talk about what you've been working on lately, but you are legit sick. We had an episode planned. Yeah. With a director whose last name is Sick, so there's some some dramatic irony there. And uh, we're recording this on March 4th. I think the first coronavirus discovery at LAX happened today. Mm -hmm. Obviously, like people in Northern California and Washington are getting sick. So, you know, we're at at the dawn of, you know, this kind of spreading out in a more serious way. And so everyone's a little antsy. When I ask people if they want to see my CV, they're like, no thanks. Keep your cough to yourself. But yeah, but I guess the reason we're recording, aside from the fact that we need to release an episode next week, is that the interesting situation I'm in is I also have a shoot tomorrow that's like pretty big in terms of, not necessarily in terms of budget, but in terms of expectations from the client, from the agency. There's going to be 15 people there representing all the various parties involved. And we have like a celebrity athlete And it's a big brand that you've heard of. And it is a job that I had to fight very hard for and convince people. I'm pretty sure I I pitched against three other directors, convince people that I'm the one that they should hire. And because there's like a gaming aspect to it. And I kind of came in with that angle of like being a gamer and knowing what that, like how to be authentic to that audience. So not showing up to set tomorrow would be a pretty big wrench in the gears of production right well and also there are instances where you could do most of the prep work and then you know your dp and your ad and your producer could execute most of your vision actually and it wouldn't be the end of the world it would be pretty darn close to what you're actually 
had intended where you maybe could sit things out for sure um, like that bush bean shoot i did not, last week right well like aside from the fact was, that we figured out the script the morning of the shoot but if that hadn't been the case yeah i like didn't really fine. do anything yeah 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 yeah, there's sometimes where you're like, why am I even here? And then there are other jobs like this one where it's like, oh, you definitely have have to be there the whole time. Yeah, and yeah. by the way, I don't mean to minimize the role of the director, but obviously I was the liaison between the actors and the clients and everything, the crew. But if I wasn't there, the show could have gone on. And not to say that right. tomorrow's show can't go on without me, because it could, but I'm the only person that's like talked to the DP about the shots, you know? And he's like not 100% sure he knows what I want. And a lot of it is because we're working with like non-actors. And sometimes with that, I want to be a little flexible. And I have even like backup plans in place. We have a script for what we want our athlete to say. But if he doesn't like it or it doesn't feel natural, then I also have kind of like an interview approach where I would like interview, ask him questions that would kind of get him to the same talking points. But it's something that's just in my back pocket that like no one else even has these questions. No one else even knows this plan so if I didn't right. show up, you just know in the moment, like you have a few different ways to get someone where they need to be, which is directing, right? Like that's the whole job. So it would be strange if you shared your line of questioning with the client or something like that to get them there. Yeah. Well, it would be just strange for my DP to be getting told where to put the camera by the client. And I've, I've actually been in a situation like this before. Have you ever been in a situation where the director did not show up or couldn't be on set for some reason? I have not been in that situation, but I did get sick on set in the middle of a pretty gnarly shoot. Oh, yeah. That I think I, I, I know. Do I do remember. Yeah, we podcast. talked about that. Yeah. But you I stayed like, on set. I had what I think is probably was food poisoning. It's hard to know, but I... um. I was sick in the middle of the of the shoot in a pretty dramatic way. Didn't you throw up like on set? Yeah. Well, just to relive the magic, my lead was a germaphobe, um, and he was also the EP of the show. Mm-hmm. And I had been feeling terrible all morning, and we were shooting on Hollywood Boulevard the first half of the day. So the Hollywood Boulevard, it was in the summer too. It was just a a wave of aromas and terrible sounds. And at one point. I let like the rest of the crew head away and I'd only told my DP and my AD that I wasn't feeling well. And I almost barfed in the uh, planter of the W hotel, which is a very funny hotel. And, um, yes. to, to bark, I can in, vouch for that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it would have been uh, at least laced with a little bit of sarcasm in that case for me. So anyway, um, at lunch I took a nap and I woke up and I was like, oh, I'm feeling better. And we were at a nightclub. And so there's like, you know, 20, 30 or so extras laying around and there's strobe lights and stuff. And I just kind of lay down and then lunch is over and I stand up and I'm feeling good. And then I look over and I make eye contact with my DP and he and I both know what's about to happen. And I can't, there's nowhere I can go. And I just blow chunks in front of all of these board extras just like right in the middle of on the floor in your hands basically on, on in the floor in my hands yeah and um we had a set medic there that day because we were doing some stunts he checked me out i cleaned up all the barf my lead didn't see what happened because he uh, was busy doing an interview at lunch and um bless the grips they built me a little tent and i just directed from behind the monitor in the little tent and i wasn't staring at strobe lights or disco balls or anything and i just went louder faster 
do it again. Right. Those are the moments where it's actually kind of nice when the AD is the one that's yelling action. A lot of times when they do it, when it's a new AD and I've never worked with them before and we like are all set up for the first shot and they're like, okay, and action. I'm like, uh, You're like, should we have a conversation about this? It's not that I mind that you say action. I just like want us to, it's not the traditional thing. So, I mean, I know on some sets it is, but for me it's not. So yeah. let's just talk yeah, about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I, I prefer to say action as well. I like to set. Um, but uh, I do sometimes when you have to be really far away from the actors and things. Also, I don't have like a super loud voice, so I don't mind, you know, in those situations where the AD is like, action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're um, really echoing it for you. Yeah, but, but uh, war stories aside, right? I think that it does kind of get to the heart of something that's complicated for the whole country, right? But especially specific to gig-based freelancers. And that's that we don't get sick days. We don't have any one to replace us. So if you didn't go into work tomorrow, you know, I think the the coronavirus thing is is a is a different deal entirely. And I think that people um, are much more sensitive to that sort of situation. But if this were any other normal day it would be really complicated for you not to show up to work in the same way that other people have that problem as well. But if you have sick days, there's a little bit of like a sense of like a corporation should have some sort of contingency and has a safety net for you. Should you not be able to go into work some certain days? Well, I think it's actually really different because like a good year for a commercial director is like one commercial a month, you know? And so if you skip that one month, you know, and, and like a kind of a bad year is like way less than one commercial a month. So if you're skipping that one commercial because you're sick, you might have lost out on like, you know, a significant amount of your income for that month or the next two months. And again, the idea that like, you know, Jordan Brady talks about repeat business all the time. Like if you didn't show up to set, no matter what happened, you'd always be like a liability. I've had this before where like a crew person like last minute it's like I'm so sorry I had this emergency I can't show up because this thing with my kid or this thing with my brother or my mom's in town or like my friend is sick and like if there's someone you've worked with a ton of times before it's one thing but if it's like the first time you're working with them and then they don't show up it's like a little hard to convince yourself to go back to them you know well and even there's just there's the opportunity cost of like okay well you replace someone and so say they would have done a solid job but like for whatever reason they had to bow out even if it was you know a few days in advance, then the person who steps in to replace them, if they do a great job, you think of them. Yeah, they're now the new person. They're the person. Yeah, it sucks. Christopher Weil, one of our listeners, posted on Facebook that he had seen like a drop in productions because of coronavirus. And he knows less people are going to film markets that a lot of, I think, Netflix and another big company have dropped out and Apple both decided to skip South by Southwest this year. So he was asking the group, what are people doing to prepare for a potential kind of halt on production because of coronavirus? And even you had been in a situation where you heard that your shoot might get canceled because of some company policies. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's hard to know what to do exactly at this point where things are still early, you know, certainly advertising is affected by problems in the market, problems in the economy, and also just the nature of shooting. So it is it is a, an uneasy time, to say the least. Yeah. If you knew right. that you had the common cold, then you'd have no question about going to set, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, again, you would try to like suppress your coughs and not sneeze and yeah, do all yeah. those things. Right. Um, yeah. It, it's really just, it's just poor timing, right? Because like, you know, it's just now getting to where we are. So, like, 
it would be a huge revelation if you if you had it because like yeah. that would mean that like it's been here for much longer than we realized and all of that you know right well right now all the known cases in LA have been connected to international travelers but one of the people worked at LAX so in theory he could have spread it to people but I haven't been to LAX in quite a while and hoping for the best let's walk through the scenario where you wake up tomorrow morning and you've got a crazy fever and like you definitely can't go to set. Right. What would you do? What do you do? Well, it's a very interesting situation on this shoot because our call time, we get into the production gets into the location at like nine. I think our call time is 1030 and that talent doesn't get there till 1230. So I wonder if it would still be worth just going to the location, walking through with the creative director the DP, the production designer, the producer, and like one of the people from the agency and say like, hey, here's here was my exact plan. Here's this. Here's the lighting. Here's the Yuki. Here's the camera angles. Here's this. Here's that. Basically give them everything and kind of my thoughts on how we would pull it off and then just kind of get them to convince me that they feel good about it. And then, yeah, maybe I would go hang out in my car and take a nap and see if I feel any better or just go home you know if i don't have you thought about facetiming in like it just that sound insane but if it was if it was like a regular shoot with regular actors and regular everything i would do that and i think that that would be like the equivalent of like just being one of the people at video village you know because if i can mm-hmm. see the monitor right. and give notes but one of the producers was joking about getting like one of those robots with the ipads that i could like walk around set with <laughs> sure yeah yeah um <laughs> Yeah, which would be awesome. But you should just have uh, the producer strap the phone to their chest and then just walk around. Yeah, I was thinking. Just tell them what to do. Yeah, I sent a tweet to Joaquin Phoenix and Scarlett Johansson to see if they could set up <laughs> some rig for me where he's just like walking around and I can see what he sees. Perfect. Yeah, but they didn't respond. But I think all of this is like a great argument for a really good prep and. Mm-hmm shot listing and storyboards and extra 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 communication with your art department with your camera department with your wardrobe department with your actors before the day last week when i shot that bush's beans thing i kind of had this like crazy migraine in the middle of the day and it kind of lined up with lunch and i was trying to just like find a place to like hide and just Mm -hmm. like relax and i could not find any place there were people everywhere like i literally like went behind the stage um, like behind our set, you know, but then I was like, it'd be so weird if like a grip just came back here and saw me just like sitting down. And I told Kara, my wife, and she's like, why don't you just go talk to a producer about it and just say, Hey, I'm not feeling that great. Like, can you help me find a place to isolate myself? And I guess my gut reaction is to never do that. Cause I don't want people to be scared. You know, mm-hmm. what did yeah. you do? Like after you threw up, were you, I mean, obviously you had the grips well, had helped you out. That was such a public situation that there was no hiding it you know that wasn't like oh i like walked away and like you know went into the bathroom or something like that and so in that case uh, you know my producers were like immediately on it like i barfed in front of my entire ad team and dp so like (laughs) you know yeah but i did you know one time get food poisoning on a set where i didn't know that other people were going to be sick as well. It was from lunch, basically. And it was funny. It was only the vegetarians that got sick because mm. yeah, we were the only people weaker, who ate vegetables. Weaker people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We were. We didn't have the power of uh, animal's blood Protein. coursing through our veins. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
no 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 it's because like someone hadn't washed some salad well enough and like literally no one ate salad but vegetarians wow <laughs> and like it wasn't super bad but it was just like just bad enough that i was like once we got through it once we wrapped i was like hey i'm gonna go and they were like yeah you you should and called me an uber like i just looked super pale and i just like meditated and like rolled the window down yeah like hyperventilating yeah. i know yeah. the feeling well back when i first started working in film you know when some of my first few projects in la were like usc student films and music videos and we would do like 14 18 hour days like no big deal and on more than one set i had it wasn't me but there were members of the crew that got into like car accidents on the way home because they just fell asleep you know we're shooting somewhere far and like once the first ac like under a crazy car accident and i had to go to the hospital and so we didn't have a first ac the next day and then when i did those converse spots like rdp jess he got into like a crazy car accident on the way to the first day of set so our oh that camera right. operator had to step up in dp but he had never even like read the scripts or anything so you know it's a little tricky but yeah with, with the director it's always it's less about like your talent and more about what conversations you've already had <laughs> with people mm-hmm, right you know? have you ever missed uh, a day of shooting yourself have you ever um missed a connecting flight or something like that no i shot something last year this is nowhere near related but i shot something last year where the fire department shut us down halfway through the day so i had to like kind of like that's right literally have a producer talk to them while we like just ran through like insert shots and adr and like we'll, we'll fix this in post you know like just like yeah, yeah. tackling the shoot <laughs> as fast as we possibly could. I missed a scout once from uh, a flight getting delayed. A good friend of ours uh, missed a connecting flight and basically the producer had to step in. But because the shot list was so awesome, it was basically what he was going to shoot in the first place. And so it worked out really well. And also it was one of those sorts of shoots where because the person was so famous, he had like 45 minutes with them, right. you know? I think that would send me into a spiral of depression, knowing how unnecessary I am <laughs> to a shoot. Well, I think it's just, it's all about prep. That's the thing. Yeah. You know, we've all had feelings where, you know, we're like, what am I even doing here? Like, what, like, am I important? And like, the answer is yes, but it's because you did all of the work in advance and hired awesome people and then told them how you saw things and then said yes to their great ideas and no to their less great ideas. You know, that's that's the nature of directing it's not that any one person has all of the answers but like you have the perspective of having had all of the conversations well cool well aside from illnesses any other things that you're thinking about working on doing nowadays that might be interesting to talk about yeah i mean i'm uh in the middle of these soda commercials which are pretty exciting and it's fun it's with a new company and so things have been going really well you know it's one of those ones where there's a lot of great ideas and like a lot of different parties involved and so kind of dialing in the difference between inspiration that occurs while you're say scouting or having conversations with different department heads what you pitched and what the potential and opportunity could be are kind of a little tricky. And so I've pivoted a little bit with some ideas and it's made me very nervous because I want to make sure that the agency is really into it and really likes it. And like, they're all inspired by things that we've talked about and said 
already, but you know, you never want to surprise anybody because there's a lot of different people who have to be aligned. And I think that this job in particular, I've been reminded by how big corporations are and how many different people, how many bosses and bosses, bosses and bosses, bosses, bosses there are. And that's not including talent. That's not include the, there's just so many people. And so anytime you're straying from what the initial pitch was, it's a bit of a gamble, you know, and like you can do a really great job of pitching it, but then those people have to pitch it and et cetera, et cetera. And like, sometimes it can just be a bummer to be like, wait, he's, he's changing this. I thought we said green and someone 15 conversations prior was like, you know, what's cool is like a light blue. And then when you're on set, you see the light blue that we were all, were talking about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I find that in those situations, you just got to be really clear. Like, Hey, I know we talked about this, but we're doing this instead because of this. And then like, in the pre-pro call, it's like, remember we said we're going to do green and then we changed it to light blue. So just making sure you guys know about that. I always like try to bring up, there's things that I know they don't care about. Like, I'm like, yeah, you know, we're going to shoot on C500s, but now we're shooting on Alexa minis. Like they don't care about that stuff. They don't care about that um, at all. Yeah. Or know the difference. Right. But they know the difference between green and blue. Right. But like we were going to shoot kind of doc style and now we're doing a little more vlog style. And so to me, that means the camera is closer to the subject. The subject is talking into the lens. And so just letting you guys know that because we think it's going to feel more dynamic and more personal and more authentic or whatever, you know, and Mm -hmm. I like trying to get like a verbal. Sure. Yeah, we got that. And then also, like, if I feel like they didn't really get it, then I will have a backup plan on set just in case. Or I'll be like, can you bring that other prop or can you do that other? Just have the green one there. So I have kind of this interesting thing that's like kind of related to that which is I just pitched on this commercial. The script from the agency is like really big. There's like eight locations. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. a lot of visual effects, seamless transitions. They want it to look like a one -er. It's for this like corporation that's like new to advertising. Like Um, literally actually look like a one -er. Like be photorealistic convincing. Yeah. And they want it, it starts in like as a drone shot and then it goes into like the city and then it goes into a residential neighborhood, and then it goes into these offices, very, multiple different offices. Then it goes back it's outside. $15,000. And it goes back inside, and it's 30 seconds. <laughs> well, it's not $15,000, but it's like it's a good budget for a commercial, for a commercial my level, but it's not a good budget for all of those things. And also, so right. in my pitching, I was like, how can we do this on this budget, you know? How can we get, like, I mean, we have to shoot for at least two days, right? Like, there's just a lot of locations yeah. and a lot of things and a lot of, yeah. and there's also like 14 other characters that this woman interacts with and physical props and magical things that happen. So I was really floating this idea of kind of doing a more stylized version of this, you know, where we're building sets and we're moving them around her in a, in a warehouse. And that was the only way I could think of that for this budget, we can make this story work. We see her in the city and then somebody, you know, the art department the city is like on dolly track. And when we was the back. last time you, um, I think that that stuff is all very cool and great. When was the last time you saw Moulin Rouge? The Baz Luhrmann movie? Yeah, yeah. A uh, very long time ago. But they so use miniatures HBO stuff, now. Right? They do a lot of, like, 2D, 3D. Like, there's a lot of, like, big, like, swooping, like, shots where it's, like, it would be a drone now, but, like, it's just, like, flying through and down into st- city streets, and then you land on the Moulin Rouge. And most of it is just... 2d plates oh really it's not flying through it miniatures no and i remember seeing that in some sort of special feature once upon a time 
and now 100% you could do it in After Effects, you know, without, I wouldn't say without breaking a sweat, but it would be, it's work that you could do on your laptop. Yeah, it's interesting. Ironically, the drone shot is probably cheaper than that nowadays. Um, right, right, that's true. But, and also they wanted a drone shot for, to be able to interchange these opening drone shots, depending on which city this spot is airing in. Wait, wait, wait. So you're saying, oh, it's a drone shot, like an aerial of Seattle, and then it swoops down into your scene. Yeah. Or it's an aerial of Chicago and swoops down into your scene. Yep. Well. <laughs> right. Um, and, and like, my whole, like, I very much felt, like, kind of like those crazy whip pans and, like, like tilts, like a, like a whoosh transition is not, did not fit tonally for this piece. It seemed much smoother and more effortless than that. So I did a test with my drone and I was like, I don't know if this is going to work. And I did a test and I showed it to them and they're like, yep, we love it exactly like that. So <laughs> I guess there is a plan for that. But as I pitched the stylized stuff, they were, they did not seem like that interested in it. And then I had actually had another call with them before I finished my treatment, just like showing them some samples of really cool stylized things. And they pretty much said, no, the client wants to feel like this person is really in the community, embedded in real places and real. They want it to be grounded, grounded, grounded. So I asked the production company, I was like, well, look, there's the reality of the budget and there's like the best version of this commercial in my mind. Should I pitch the best version of this commercial? Should I pitch something we can do for the budget or should I pitch say like, hey, here's what I would love to do, but on this budget, we can't do it. Here are some cuts and, and tweaks and modifications that I think will get us there. Like if we cut the residential neighborhood, if we do this, you know, maybe we can pull this off. And they were like, just just pitch the best version of the commercial and we'll figure it out. Right. So, right. but now, I, I don't know if I got it yet, but we're having like a real hard time making the budget work if we do get it. So it's <laughs> sure. like, what do you well, do in that situation? Is that because it's the like same you, thing. It's like you're promising the world, and then when the reality of like what you can actually pull off comes to fruition, it's a little harder to execute the world, and you and you want to execute it really well. So we uh, on the job that I'm currently on, we had we ran into this thing where there's product shots, and you know it's a it's a beverage, and there's like some real big movement that happens in it, and so there's a world where you get a beverage handler who's basically like second unit and is shooting product shots, shooting, you know, cans flying through the air all day, basically. And, you know, they've got their stylist there and they're putting glycerin on the can and like doing it a million times. And there's a motion control rig, you know, like the, if you really want to nail yeah. awesome a, product shots, shoot. yeah, in my treatment, I'm talking about how we're romancing the can and how it's going to look so awesome and that it's going to glisten and it's buttery slow motion and the move is perfect and all this stuff. And I had a lot of conversations with different like VFX houses about how to, you know, like what assets exist and like, can we do this and that and whatever. And, um, we went back and forth on it and finally like, cause you have to submit your budget with the treatment. Like they don't award based off of the creative alone. They award on the creative combined with how do you actually pull this off? Right. And who the company and so is and who so the company is things. and all. Right. Right. Exactly. Like if you say, I want to shoot in LA and someone else says, I want to shoot in Mexico and one of the agency people wants and to go to Mexico. Like, yeah. They're like, Oh yeah, well let's go to, uh, or which orange. by the way is one yeah, of the things great. we tried to budget is like, would this be cheaper to shoot in Mexico? And you know what? We found out it's incredibly cheap to shoot in the Wuhan province of China right now. So we're going there. Yeah. You know, 
tickets are pretty cheap too. Um, anyway, I mean, you know, my opinion on it, obviously do it in VFX. Yeah. And it's just like one of the, I think it's like Dude, one of the easiest CG shots you can do that. I, I had conversations where I wanted to do it full CG. Cause that was what my instinct is as yeah, well. Or maybe like, shoot a background plane or something, but yeah, yeah. We would shoot a background plate. We do it a couple different times. I would do a big static. I'd get, you know, like a blah, blah, blah. I do that a bunch of times and then we do it in CG. We just talked to like the preferred houses that they wanted. Ultimately ended up going away because of other different brand requirements, but like that was something that we were going to go down as well. You know what's funny, Oren, that I realized just now Then I can do it for you for very inexpensively? I I brought that up actually <laughs> that I, I, would, I would maybe <laughs> Yeah, I, I take your ability to do VFX for granted too frequently. But well, there, the there's job. some things that I, you know, I'm definitely not the best person at, but a product shot like that is, yeah. it's actually like, because it's an inanimate object and it's really just about like texturing and lighting and rendering is one of the easier things to do really things well to do, you know? Right. Yeah. And if it wasn't me, there's like a lot of kind of independent people in their garages that do VFX that could kill that, yeah, you know, yeah. Russia or India, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. If it's a monster, um, if it's anything animated, it's a whole different story. Sure, different different deal. But w- the realization that I just now had is that on the spectrum of like analog directors to digital VFX directors, I think you and I are both much more digital, much more savvy, much more capable in that realm. Than, I think we trust than it most. Yeah, we trust it, and also it's a skill set that we can rely on. Where like. I'm not necessarily doing all of that work myself, but like have to a certain extent and like certainly can speak with an artist who is going to do it better than I could ever do it and faster than I could ever do it. And so like, but you understand the pieces you need to shoot on set to get a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And it's funny that like, I think that when we compare ourselves to each other, you're clearly the VFX guy and I am not by comparison, but if we're in a pool of a hundred directors, I would say we're both probably in the like 20% most digital, most VFX savvy people. I'm certainly not yeah. in that 10 or 5%, but like, no, for sure. You, you are. Know. I mean, you did that whole music video and after effects pretty much by yourself, sure. but that is true. But yeah. And I, and I think the thing that people sometimes find is surprising is that even like the people that are most into VFX, are the ones that push the most for doing as much as possible in camera. Right, 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 right. Uh, except yeah. it, unless it's like, there's certain things like a lightning strike or something that is a hundred times easier to do in post than having those giant lightning strike units because it's one frame, you know? There's other things like having a car that's on fire that's driving is actually relatively difficult to do sure. in post because yeah. the, you have to do this fluid simulation and the smoke is billowing and leaving a path and camera lenses, all that stuff is affecting it. And I think people like you and me just know the difference between yeah. the difficulty and know what pieces we need. But, you know, sometimes like I lost a job because I was pushing to do it practically and um, the people that they went with like wanted to do it in VFX and they're like, oh, yeah, it's just way more flexible and easier and faster because they want to do it in VFX and I want to do it practically. And it was... I'm sure I told you about it. it was like uh, someone had a hole in their wall, like in their drywall um, mm-hmm. from like a doorknob from a door that had been like slammed open. And that hole is supposed to start talking and being like a face. And so I thought it'd be like awesome to, de- to design a puppet. It'd be you awesome. Know, yeah, yeah. With like, yeah, totally. Sought with, um, you know, drywall dust and all this stuff and just make it super organic and real like Pee Wee Herman's Playhouse, but 
realistic looking. And I even had like the puppet designer like help me draw plans for it. And then they're like, yeah, some, we're just going to go with the VFX company. <laughs> that yeah. So. Yeah. Totally. Maybe we should do some unpaid endorsements real quick. Unpaid endorsements. I can't wait any longer, Oren. You teased what your unpaid endorsement is, but I have no idea what it is. Tell us. Okay. So I was asking my doctor friend for advice on what drugs to take. And he recommended an app called Hippocrates, E-P-O-C-R-A-T-E-S. And it's an app that basically will, I mean, it does a ton of things, but the biggest thing is it tells you like what drugs you can take together. So you can do an interaction check. And I know there's a lot Mm -hmm. of web resources for it, but because he's a doctor and he trusts this, I kind of trust it more than like any random Google search I would do on it. And it's also kind of like pretty conclusive. So Hippocrates, it's an app that tells you if you took a Tylenol, can you now take an Advil and how long you should wait and all that stuff. Okay, Matt, what do you got? Uh, right, so I've got a couple. So um, previously, I endorsed the movie Force Majeure. Did you ever watch that movie, Oren? No, but a friend of ours edited the American version. So I love Force Majeure. I think it's a masterpiece. And there was an American remake starring Will Ferrell and uh, Julie Louis Dreyfus called Downhill, which I caught just recently. And it is also super fun and very interesting. I think it's maybe gotten worse reviews than it deserves sometimes because people are compare critics are comparing it to the original film, which is distinctly different. Like, like much more European, I'm assuming much. There's like 32 setups in force majeure. It's like, so, and like, Everything is played so it's so cringy and so long. There are multiple scenes that are two or three setups. Like, it's just beautiful, big tableaus, and you're watching these human beings kind of fumble their way through making some terrible life choices. And the American version is much cuttier and much more covered, but still has some things that are very interesting and new and different, and they they've changed some things around that I don't want to spoil. But so I think it's a really fascinating experience to take a look at the original and the remake. I think this one is really worthwhile and that there's some lessons to be learned in the contrast between the two, actually. Right. And the American version was written by Nat Faxon and Jim Rash, two groundlings yeah. that also wrote the way, way back. The way, way back. The way, way back. And, um, and which they also directed as well. Oh, and the descendants. You know, yeah. Uh, uh, Jim Rash is, uh, you know, the bald guy in community. Like they're both awesome. So it's like they are really interesting voices unto themselves. And obviously Julie Louis-Dreyfus and Will Ferrell are incredible. So I think it's really interesting to compare. And did then you the see other it in thing, theaters? I did see it in theaters thanks to the Alamo Draft House mm. season pass, baby. The other thing I'm going to recommend is Joe Parra Talks to You. I just finished season one. It's an adult swim show. They're only like 11 or 12 minute episodes. And I can't tell you how much I love it. It's like so good. It's Joe. very strange. P-E-R-A. That's correct. Yeah. Joe Para talks to you. He's a, a like a awkward stand-up comic. He's kind of a unique voice. He's very metered. He's very slow. And the show ostensibly is about his interests, which are like planting beans, breakfast foods, local minerals of the greater Michigan area. Steel, right. like stuff like that, like super mundane. Kind of, it sort of feels like PBS, Hewell Hauser, California's Gold sort of topics. Mm-hmm. But then it manages to kind of 
get derailed into this humanistic sort of story about like the people in his lives. So the people who live across the street from him, the time he gets invited to a wedding, you know, his best friend, Gene and his Gene's wife who doesn't love him or doesn't like Joe very much, but is sort of tolerates him. It's all, but it's all very mild mannered. And also I think it's really lit and shot in an interesting way. It's very, again, kind of big tableaus and a lot of naturalistic lighting. The performances are, are, interesting and unique and pretty grounded compared to Joe. And so I think it's definitely worth your time and worth checking out. It's not for everyone, but I think it is something very special. I went ahead and bought it on uh, iTunes, but it is on Adult Swim, um, but worth worth checking out. Joe Para talks to you. Cool. How'd you hear about it? I'd heard of Joe's stand-up comedy for a long time, but I heard an interview of him on Bullseye and thought, I'm going to check this out. And I love it. Cool. Oh, awesome. Well, thanks for the endorsement. If you guys want to tell us about anything you're endorsing, email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com or you can tweet at us at justshootitpod across all social media. If you want to find me, I'm at OKaplan on Instagram. And I'm at Mr. Matt Enlow. This episode was edited by Sarah Weirda. Our webmaster is Ewan Williams. And you're listening to music from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Catch you next time. Thanks, everyone. Goodbye. Bye.